All right. Well, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast. This is a Monday Minute episode where we answer your listener questions. Joined by Steve today. How's it going, man? Good. It's uh, it's been a quick week. It's <laughs> it seems like a lot of these Monday minutes are recorded on Fridays, uh, just yeah. because things are happening. Like we're, I know Monday we'll be packing up the trailer again uh, and getting ready to head Tuesday over to Portland for the Sportsman Show over there. So it's this time of year is. Um, and just fly by just so many shows and traveling and as far as spend more nights in, in a different bed than my own but yeah, yeah it's all it's all good <laughs> is, is that your way of trying to say you missed me because we had to yes. share a bed in salt lake city yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we didn't we haven't recorded a podcast together since hunt expo and salt lake city so i'm just curious from you like any any takeaways what were your takeaways from that show and just getting to see customers and obviously get k4 out there in people's hands yeah i mean a the show in general the hunt but they they're doing a terrific job managing that show it just keeps getting better every year they really expanded they added more boosts and expanded the building this year it expanded into yeah a new area of the building that was just you know empty before the booths were nice and spread out at least where we were at it was just the overall experience from a vendor as well as if you're a consumer it's man I, there, I am not aware of any shows that are even close to being the caliber of you know that that show is so kudos to to the people managing the show they're doing a great job and then along with that the attendance was just fantastic our booth was a little bit more exposed this year in the past we've kind of been tucked away in a little corner and you know <laughs> kind of quietly i liked that like it's like yeah if you, if you uh wanted to see an exo pack you had to come find us and um you know, those, those shows are interesting because obviously you'll get people who walk by and uh, just, you know, what do you, what's the term? Tire kickers, right? Like yeah. just, just not really interested, but you kind of spend half an hour walking a, walking through a pack with them and they go, oh, okay, thanks. And then walk away. Um, yeah. So that in the past, it was nice, but this year we were definitely more exposed. And so it was just a, obviously we had a lot of people come into the booth just from the, you know, this, the launch of K4. And then it was definitely, um, it was just fan. The show was fantastic. It was busy the Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I don't think any of us had any breaks, which we had between five and seven of us in the booth. And it was just literally get done helping a customer and then turn around and then help the next person. And I hope, uh, I hope there's not anybody like on Saturday, especially that waited too long and eventually just gave up and left the booth. Cause we were doing our best to get to everybody, but it was a great show. And that for me, the you know and then you as well obviously the the amount of effort that's gone into k4 up until this point to put the pack on these people on customers and then have have the positive feedback right like that was super there's so much invested in this project for me that just to get i don't know positive confirmation that people are like oh yeah that feels amazing you know that uh, that was very rewarding so it's certainly like the most i say nervous i've been but just anxious for to get get it on more people and have mm-hmm. them wear it and feel it and see what their thoughts were and to have everything be i'd say overwhelmingly positive was really cool yeah it's, it was specifically satisfying to not you know, I try and put the pack on somebody and not lead them, right? Like not talk too much and just let them talk mm-hmm. about what they're feeling. And when people would touch on very specific things that we tried to do 
and include in the pack from a performance perspective. And then they're the ones verbalizing that. It was like, all right, sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we did. And we learned, we learned stuff on the sizing. Like we talked about, we weren't, it, it got so busy. We weren't as good at taking hip measurements as I wanted to be. We'll certainly make sure we're doing that really well at Portland. But uh, we learned, you know, just kind of, we actually, you immediately on the flight home pulled a sales report of all the packs we sold at the show. And then we, within that report breaks down all the sizing, right? All right. This is how many small belts, medium belts, large belts. This is how many 23 inch frames, 25 inch frames, right? And we immediately took that information and adjusted our production because sales were just slightly different from what were, what we were predicting. And, uh, you know, that information's it's huge for us because we can, we're adjusting production so that when we launch the website in late March, that that our stock is going to resemble as close as possible to what actual sales will be. So if we have X amount of packs in stock and we sell all of them, you know, we're trying to to nail what we call our variant down to a percent of, you know, knowing how many 5,000 Rangers we're going to sell. Those, that part of the, the show was really invaluable for us to adjust and, you know, because with the new sizes, things are different than in the past. Yeah, well, once again, thanks to everybody who came out. Um, and then this week, uh, Portland, we're headed to the Pacific Northwest Sportsman Show. Um, once again, kind of same deal as Hunt Expo. We'll be there. We'll have, we'll have a booth. Everything's K4. We'll have all the sizes, all the options. You can test them with weight. Um, we have all of the the weighted packs loaded with... Actually, I don't like saying this because... <laughs> One thing I like at Hunt Expo is people who didn't know how much it weighed, they would ask. I'm like, I don't know. What do you think it weighs, right? Um, anyway, they're weighted with like 52, 53 pounds, and uh, we will be doing pre-orders and things like that. So if you're in the Pacific Northwest area, um, even if you're not interested in K4, but maybe you to listen to the podcast or something like that, swing by and say, hey. And that's another cool thing is as much as Hunt Expo is about K4, it was great to to hear from podcast listeners and guys who stopped by to say hey and shake hands was always fun because all often as like right now steve you and i are doing nothing more than being on a zoom call and we hit publish and we get the emails and things like that but it's cool to actually meet people in person and go oh all those you know thousands of people that theoretically listen to the show are real people <laughs> right yeah no it, it's i love that part of it where people come up and man we really enjoy the podcast or t- talk specifically about in an episode i got a lot of feedback i'm sure you did too um on the um the before and after series of guys just really appreciating that the reality of you know of that and there's just average guys getting after it and their failures and successes yep for sure all right well q a let's dive in we are going to keep this one again focused on k4 um we are still getting questions from you guys that aren't about the packs and we will continue to do most future q a's about that so like your hunting questions and all that gear questions but um you and i partially because of uh lack of time to think about anything else are so invested in k4 right now and obviously there continues to be a lot of questions about k4 since we've talked about it on the podcast recently um so this q a is again going to be about questions on that uh just a reminder Any question, again, whether it's about K4, hunting, other gear, whatever, just look for the link in the show description that says leave a message. And that's how you can send us one of these audio messages. But kind of, we have a a ton of questions in no certain order. We're just going to start ripping through some, Steve. So here's the first one. 
Hey guys, my name's Stefan. Um, long time listener. Although I don't own one of your guys's packs, I've been following you guys and, and studying what you've done over the years. And I, I got to say, first of all, I truly appreciate the current podcast that you have where Steve and Mark talk about the bag and the pack, specifically the frame. Um, love the information. Love that you guys super geek out about it. Those are the things that keep me captivated and plant the idea of maybe switching brands. So that leads me to my question. Um, currently, I'm using one of your major competitors' pack systems, and I've used a lot of different competitors' pack systems. Tell me why I should switch from them to the new K4. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right, Steve. Um, why consider switching? I, <laughs> this is an interesting <laughs> question because I think you and I are both very laid back and not super salesy. So how do you answer this question? The first question is, and, and we got this a lot of Hunt Expo guys come up like, I, I got my K3. What's the difference K4? And should I upgrade? And my first question is like, are you happy with K3? Yeah, I freaking love it. Awesome. Stick with it. Right. Like, um, we're not here to like, I'm, I'm the worst salesman. I'm not, or I am not a salesman at all in that standpoint of like, uh, you know, trying to like sell you on the new latest and greatest. It's just like, I'm going to talk about the, the differences and what I think is better. And, and then it's obviously up to, to the end user of what works for them. So if this guy's happy with whatever he's running and he likes the, how the frame performs for him and he likes the bag features then then great. If he's, you know, I guess like for me, my question would be like, well, what don't you, you know, why, why are you considering upgrading? What don't you like about your current system? And then I could maybe talk about the differences of things that, um, that we do that, you know, that might, that he might like and maybe things he might not like. Right. Um, I think from, I think we do probably the best job on a complete system, right? Like if you're just kind of how we were talking about the performance of the K4 frame, as far as, you know, how it feels from 10 pounds to 30 pounds or from 10 pounds to 130 pounds that, that same range of like how we were talking about the bag designs. I guess this was this was yesterday. That, this was yesterday. Recording <laughs> yeah, you're, the you're referring to a conversation yeah. that people haven't yeah. heard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it tells you my, my mind's a little scattered. Yeah. Um, but anyway, we're talking the bag design is just super universal, right? Like we could get more specific and just have a try to save a little weight with a spotting scope pocket just on one side. But as far as if you take one bag and use it through the entire season from day hunts to to quick overnighters to four nights to a seven day hunt the the pack performs exceptionally well at every step of the way and i think that's something that that i certainly strive to do in the design right like the when the bag is completely empty all the fabric is completely compressed to the frame and nice and tidy the the lid isn't big and floppy on top the there's not loose straps and buckles all over the place everything's just nice and tidy and and then simple right like i really want simple and clean uh so that you can you know don't, don't want to mess with my gear i just want my gear to work so i can focus on hunting and i, I think i think we do a very very good job at that and it's probably what separates us from some of our competitors that um that are out there yeah oh does that answer it yeah i think it's that's a tough good question. yeah that is a tough question and there's one to to stay on a tough topic let me play one more that was kind of about um something similar but different but let's dive into this question maybe to elaborate 
Good morning, guys. Thanks for being open to taking questions. Um, my question today is in regards to uh, the new K4 pack versus the K3 pack. Uh, I'm brand new to backpack hunting, hunting uh, in Michigan my whole life, sitting in a tree stand is all I'm used to. Recently got a uh, hand-me-down uh, pack from another brand to uh, start training with, so I'm unfamiliar with different fits from different brands. My question for you today is, who would you target K3 sales versus K4 sales in regards to uh, brand new hunters? Is it worth holding out and just buying a K4 or um, snagging a K3 while they're still available for a little bit less, um, being that I am very new and impartial to what fit and function um, will actually entail on packs? Thank you. All right. So like I said, a little bit different of an angle, uh, but still similar mm-hmm. on like, hey, is it worth upgrading or changing brands? Or in this situation, I think he's he's kind of talking specifically about seeing K3s out there for sale on the used market and saving some money versus buying a new K4. But as he said, he's kind of new to backpack hunting, new to Western hunting, new to high quality packs. So I... I when I heard this question, I related it back to when I bought my very first bow and me knowing to some extent, like, I don't know what makes a great bow yet because I I need more experience shooting them and comparing them and what have you. And so in that situation, I did buy a, you know, a, a cheap ready to hunt off the rack at Cabela's bow. And then, you know, learned how to shoot a little bit and then knew what I wanted. And that's good. But I will say that depending on how serious you are about, in this case, hunting and packs, at the end of the day, you're going to find out that you're not as happy with the lesser quality for what I did with my bow. What's Mm -hmm. different, though, is he's talking about saving money on a K3 which is not an entry bow. It's not an entry pack. It is a super great pack that can probably um, meet all of his needs in a way. I think K4 is still better. But again, I don't know where this guy's at with budget, what other gear he needs, et cetera. And so it, to me, like answering this question is always kind of, it depends, obviously. Um, I don't, I genuinely don't think you can go wrong either way. I would say... For me personally, at the end of the day, if this guy's serious about continuing to hunt out west and will be using a pack in the long run, to me, it just makes more sense to start with the latest and greatest. But if this guy is maybe not as serious, he's just doing this western hunt for the first time, he's not sure he's going to stick with it, um, things like that, then maybe the used K3 makes a lot more sense. So that's where my head goes, Steve, but how about for you? Yeah, I think anytime you're doing something new, you want to, you know, I, I think you kind of dip your toe in the water, right? And and get in there as cheap as you can just to see if you you like it. And then you, like you kind of mentioned, over time, you're going to learn the things you, you need and don't need. And then you kind of upgrade over time. But yeah, it, yeah, it would just be, <laughs> it's a tough question to answer. And at the, the same time, you know, as much as, you know, you and I are the first to say this, like gear 
don't ever let gear stop you from going hunting, right? Like, and gear does not make you successful. It just has a really good chance of making you more comfortable to be out there in the field longer. And that, that time spent out in the field gives you a higher chance of success, right? Like you could, I've said this with like, you know, with bows, right? You could, you could give the a Tim Gillingham, a freaking bow from 20 years ago, he's still going to be one of the best shooters there is, right? Uh, the the bow does not make the shooter. Um, they certainly can help and make things a little bit better, but you're, you're either good or you're not. So, yeah, it's a tough call. I would, um, if you can get a really good deal on a K3, a used one, and go hunt for a couple of years, it's, you know, obviously K3 is a fantastic pack and it took three years of obsessive designing to, for me to say that this K4 is better. So it's not, uh, that wasn't like in a week, I was like, oh yeah, I designed this new pack and it's better. Right. Um, so I guess that's where my head's at. There's no, there's no black and white answer there. If he's got the budget and is convinced he's going to do it, then yeah, I'd get by a K4. But if he wants to save some money and get started a little bit cheaper, then, you know, do that. And you could buy, that's the, like we've done the budget gear list in the past of there's a lot of things you could you can skimp on that you know like a cheap hundred dollar tent typically is going to be it's just going to weigh more like if you look at um, big, i think big agnes is a bad example now because everything's expensive but they've always had <laughs> like higher intents and lower intents and the difference wasn't build quality or construction it was just lighter weight fabrics right that you're paying more for that lighter tent and so if you you know want to get into a good tent for cheaper, you could save a couple hundred bucks and still have something that's fantastic. It just and then over time upgrade to lighter and lighter gear as you go. Yeah. Tough, tough question. It is a tough question. On to easier, more straightforward questions. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good ones to chat through, though, and they are questions we get, which is why we wanted to address them. But um yeah, being more product specific, this next one's gonna be a little bit easier to answer. Are the side pockets on the K4 5000 pleated, similar to the uh, born and raised 4800 edition? Short and sweet, Steve. Side pockets pleated. Talk a bit about space. What can fit in these full-length side pockets? Mm, you think it'd be short and sweet, but I could talk for four hours on the different <laughs> variations of pleats I've sewn. Um, yes, they're pleated. They're, they're, I did the, the prototypes we hunted with and um this year we're constructed very similarly to the born and raised packs that we've done in the past with k3 and then i was playing i just wasn't quite happy with how how they were working and so i played some more with and i found basically it's like a one big forward pleat and it's just yeah just a single pleat that faces like toward if you're wearing the pack it faces towards your body and I just found that that was real. Like I was basically like had, I'd built up all these different bags and would fill them up and then put spine scopes in and out of them and just, you know, try to see which ones work, work the best. How did the, did the fabric expand? Did it, did things bunch up or was your spine scope catching on fabric? Things like that. And I was this final configuration. I was the most happy with by far. And then I just oversized them to the point where I didn't even, I was, I think I had, um, I'm pretty sure I just had a, a it might have been the Koa 95. I think that's what it Either was. The, I think it was the 95. Um, 
I don't think it was this morning. I think it was the co-op. It was just in the office. I, what I did was fill up, um, the pack full of, uh, beans that really expand out the pack and like, you know, replicate being completely full. And then I made sure I could still get that scope in there. Uh, so it's like, okay, even when the pack's full, that's going to get in there. And then at hunt expo, I had somebody came in the booth and said, Hey, can a BTX fit in there? And my initial was like, nah, like BTX is freakishly big and awkward. There's no way a, a BTX scope is going to fit in there. And that that's the, for people who aren't familiar with BTX, it's the Swarovski, the binocular, um, tell, try, spy yeah. scope that they have. Right. Yeah. Like a dual um, eyepiece. That's real yeah. wide. So then I went over to, um, Darren Cooper's booth, the rent guns and gear, because they had a BTX 95 in there and like, Hey, can I borrow this for a sec? So I took it back to the booth and sure enough, I was able to fit it in the side pocket side pocket. I had to put at first I was putting the objective down and I couldn't get it in there. But then once I put the objective up and the, the eyepiece down into the bottom, it fit. And it wasn't like it fit like everything zipped up is what I mean. It wasn't like super smooth, but that was with the bag completely full of air. So if you had the bag, you know, 75% full with items that are kind of squishy on the inside, sleeping bag and clothes and food, and it'd go in there no problem. So yeah, there is no short answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and on the BTX specifically, what we see most customers, most customers I will say are not backpacking with that, right? Such a big scope. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times guys won't have the main bag completely full with the BTX specifically. But if you are the guy that does backpack and you still carry a full size, like 85 and even as you said, 95 millimeter spotter and you're running full, it's still going to fit great because that has been like in K3 and other bags. It's like it fits, but it's tight or, you know, just it fits, but it, it isn't as easy to get in and out with that top entry and potentially with friction of like a scope cover. Um, and I will say between the size of the new pockets as well as the zip configuration, um, all of the scopes just work a heck of a lot easier in these new pockets. Yeah. And one thing that's a little different with this stuff versus previous bags is all the side pockets are the exact same size. So it doesn't matter 36, five or 72, the bags, the, the spotting scope pockets are all the exact same size. I just, we literally just copied and pasted that panel into each bag design. Um, so it doesn't matter what bag you have that, you know, it's going to fit. Yeah. Uh, this there was a question about side pockets. I'm not going to play it, but essentially this guy is coming from a K2 or K3 pack. I don't recall with, as we said, those top entry fulling side pockets. And he said he sometimes hung or just put an extra sleeve of water, you know, water bladder in there um, in the top entry side pockets. And he was basically asking, can you do something similar? Can you use these full length zippered side pockets on K4 to hold or store extra water you know if you're in a dry environment you have to load up with a bunch of liters yeah absolutely that i mean that's one of the reasons why i have side pockets on both sides is i i did some i think we talked about in the previous podcast i had like a bag where i just did a spine scope on one side and had the other side just like a lower stretch pocket and at the end of the day i got in a scenario where you know tripod spine scope rifle and I'm packing extra water and I just start running out of places to put that stuff. So that's why it's, there's pockets on both sides. There is um, one cool thing with the zippered side pockets. Now, just a little note for the organization guys is I was able to, we put stash pocket loops inside the top of the side pockets so that 
um, you can add them in there and it works now because it's zippered versus being open like the other ones. And that same loop that's in there, you could easily hang a water bladder from. The only thing you wouldn't have is a water bladder port um, for the tube to come out of, but you would just you would just run it to the top of the, like run the port out the top of the pocket and the zipper just, it's a one-way zipper that goes up. So you would just zip up to that, um, up to your tube and call it good. Awesome. Uh, this next question had to do partially with ivory holsters, but he talked a bit about what we mentioned with the hip belt and weight and load distribution. Uh, we'll dive into this question. Hey guys, I was just listening to episode 386 about the features of the new K4 pack. Uh, one of the things that caught my attention is as you guys were talking about the Nalgene holster, you mentioned that you don't ever want to put weight directly on your hip belt because it can create pressure points. I'm wondering how the new ivory holster sidearm attachment, um, how, how that plays out there with creating pressure points because the weight of the sidearm and the holster is directly on the hip belt. Thanks. All right. So a few things in that one. Um, I'll touch on some of the holster stuff, Steve, and you can talk more about the hip belt. But that's one of the things going back for people who aren't aware. Gabriel runs Ivory Holsters. Um, I actually looked before this podcast because I was curious. It was 2018 when I started working with him or talking to him um, about holsters. And he reached out blindly one day and was like, hey, I make these holsters. I'm never really made one for a pack. I'm curious since you make packs, like, have you found anything that does or doesn't work well for holsters on a pack? And at the time we had our K2 packs and I had run a ton of different holsters on it with, with some gripes. Right. And that was one of the gripes of a lot of holsters don't distribute weight well. And a lot of them are going to have either like one centered mounting point or a narrow mounting point, And you don't get any weight distribution. Everything's a little bit sloppy. It's hanging a little bit loose. Like holsters are meant for, your pants and for that type of belt and not for a pack. And so that's one of the things I told Gabriel five years ago of like, Hey, if I were designing a pack holster, like here's one of the things I would want to do in terms of pre-curving the holster to fit the hip belt well. So it's not creating um, tension on the hip belt and spreading out the attachment point. So it, it does distribute weight on the hip belt um, protecting the muzzle. So when you're taking the pack on and off, it's not, you know, your muzzle's not getting filled with dirt, yada, yada, yada. So long story short, I will say that Gabriel's holster design was directly the result of me telling him what I didn't like about standard holsters and then him being able to create a design that improved upon that. So one is, I'll just speak to the holster. There's a lot of benefits to it that go beyond the fact that it can attach to our pack. Like it, There's a lot in there that's very purposeful is what I'll say. Um, Steve, I'll let you weigh in then on the pack, the hip belt load distribution, how it's similar to, or different than what you talked about before in terms of weight on the hip. So certainly, as I said, like you don't want to be, you don't want to overload the hip belt and hang a bunch of stuff off from there. And if all I was concerned about was how the hip belt performed, I would have absolutely nothing on the hip belt. You know, so I'd say I had a hundred pounds in the pack. And I'm like, you know, I got to go 20 miles. Like I would have nothing on the hip belt. Cause that's going to be, it's going to perform the absolute best that way. The reality is it's not black and white. Like that, 
the hip belt is a fantastic place to put your pistol so you can have quick access to it, right? Like you need some of the new rigs that put it in your binocular harness. I can see some advantages there. Obviously, you're just hanging a lot of weight off your neck, which depending on the design of that binocular harness is good or bad. And then the next good place right there is right on the hip belt of your pack, right? Like you, you don't, where else are you going to put it? You don't want to bury it inside the backpack. It's not going to do any good. So that certainly is just one of those scenes where you have to balance like, okay, yes, it doesn't perform as well, but I do need access to this pistol. So, you know, for me, I just don't, I'm not one of those guys that packs my pistol everywhere. I just, you know, when I'm in Alaska, yes. Maybe if I'm doing another solo hunt where I had those wolves surround me a few years back, uh, you know, up there on the, I was up on the edge of the Frank church where there's a lot of wolves. Uh, I'd probably pack a pistol there, but other than that, I'm not packing one. So the, I have actually been surprised at how well that ivory holster works with the pack underweight. Um, it's, if you took it off your pack, it would be a little bit more comfortable, but it's really not that big of a drop. Right. Um, and a lot of that is with the new Molly, basically the, you know, our old system of having the two inch webbing span from the back of the belt to the front of the belt as you're, you know, you put weight in the middle of that webbing, it's just pulling down and it's pulling on the two, you know, on the front of the belt and the back of the belt. Um, and then, so that, that was like best case scenario. Right. And then if you, a lot of people, which we try to educate as best as we can of like you watch our fitting videos. And I always say with K2 and K3, make sure that you don't over tighten that webbing so that like while you're wearing the pack, you can slide your finger down in there, uh, in between the, the, the hip belt itself and the webbing. Um, cause if it's over overly tight, which is easy to do, cause you're, you typically like laying the belt flat, right. And then tighten it and you're like, okay, yeah, that's right. But then you don't realize as you, as you put that on your body and it curves around your hips that, you know, the, that webbing's on the outside, it's getting tighter and tighter as you pull in the belt. So it just creates this two inch line, you know, basically turns the hip belt into, instead of being five inches tall into two inches tall, cause it's just putting all the pressure right there at those two inches. Um, so that, that was one of the, you know, guys asked why, why go to the Molly system? And a lot of people are just all about the Molly right away because it, it is pretty awesome. Um, a little bit more, you know, you and I have talked about this leading up to is like a little bit more complicated. Like it, you have to, we basically have to teach the customer how to do it once. Cause there's you know a lot of people who aren't familiar with Molly. And once you do the Molly strap, once you know how to do all of our accessories. Um, so, but there's just that initial, you know, guys are very, um, you know, we're all guilty of like, oh, I'll just figure this out. And we had a couple guys do that running the prototypes where they sent like, this isn't quite working right, you know? And I'm like, well, send me a picture. How you got it attached? And yeah, they had it wrong, right? Um, so yeah, God, it's so easy for me to ramble when I start talking about K4 stuff, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, with, with the Molly system, because it's kind of sewn to that outer fabric and that outer fabric is... Uh, it's part of the hip belt design, but it's oversized. So as, as it's wrapping around the belt, it's not actually creating tension anywhere. Uh, long story short, it works really, really well. So um, we did plenty of pack outs last when we were in Kodiak. Um, gosh, I guess that was two, no, yeah, two years ago. Now. Yeah. And 21, we packed out all, you know, every day we're 80, 90 pound packs packing out deer and running pistols the whole time. And, and uh, I was really impressed with how well that worked. So, um, 
yeah, long, long answer to a so, somewhat short question, but it's, um, it, it's, again, it's just all more, um, there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than I just simply slapped a Molly panel in there and called it good. Like there's a lot of intent behind it and trying to get the best balance of performance and function, right? Performance mm-hmm. being, I want the hip belt as comf- comfortable as possible. Function being, I want the pistol attached to the hip belt in a very secure manner that uh, is easy to access. Yeah, it was uh, just to elaborate on that a little bit. It's already a long answer, but I find it fascinating. I think some listeners will. If you look at the shape of the K4 hip belt, it is um, it's drastically different than K2, K3, meaning just looking at the assembled hip belt. What's really wild, Steve, is when you were showing me like the patterning of the K4 hip belt to actually create <laughs> that shape. And there's the there's the foam itself. And then there's, as you said, the fabric and how you change the pattern of the fabric so that as it's curved and as it's wrapping you, the fabric's not creating tension. But at the same time, it's also keeping taut um, kind of in all conditions. And it is wild to look one at how much different the K4 hip belt is than the previous, but also the raw components that make a hip belt before they're sewn to look at those and then go, and that makes the hip belt really <laughs> uh, yeah. It's cool, man. I, I, yeah. I remember very specifically sending you that photo. Cause once I had, once I had designed the first one, I, you know, it was just like, there's nothing you could ever do. No, you could never do on a computer, right? This was mm-hmm. complete trial and error. There's no computer system that could figure this out. Cause, and it, man, that was tricky. Yeah. Cause it changed, right? The rate, because we're dealing with uh, a static fabric and the 500 D Cordura, and then we've got the stretch fabric on the inside and then the foam and the patterns are completely and utterly funky. Maybe we'll post a photo on Instagram of, of that. Cause it's pretty wild. Yeah, it is. Um, to answer just really quick this time, truly, um, we had more speak pipe questions come in about ivory holsters, a few of them related to compatibility. And we also got this at hunt expo. If guys already have a K2 or K3 pack, you can reuse your holster. Um, we worked early on with Gabriel, like two plus years ago when we started looking at Molly on the hip belt and got him involved early of like, Hey, here's what we're thinking for what will eventually be a new hip belt design. Um, and he was working with that. He has your, your holster as it is right now may work. He also has some new clips that are a bit, uh, more forgiving or more flexible to work with the Molly and the spacing of that. So worst case scenario, if you own a holster, you get a K4 pack, it doesn't fit perfect. I think he's selling the new attachments for like eight bucks. Uh, that's worst case scenario, but your holster, if you own one, will fit. And uh, the stories are true. Gabriel is one of the coolest human beings on the planet. <laughs> yeah, the the standard clips, I think the original K2 clips, at some point he changed. Yeah. They fit a little bit. They're a little bit thinner, lower profile. And then the new, the new K3 ones are a little bit beefier. And those were the ones where we were, you know, there's just certainly a tolerance, like plus or minus a quarter inch each side. And I absolutely worked with him to, I actually made the Molly slits a little bit wider and then he found a little bit thinner clip and now pretty much it, it will do a video on it. Cause sometimes you're going to, I had guys we sent prototypes to like, this doesn't fit. And it's like, no, it does. You just gotta, because of that, 
the holster being curved and as you flip mm-hmm. the clips out they're like pointing into each other it looks really weird at first but you just got to kind of that that's why these those newer clips that he's got that are more flexible and thinner um they, they give you a little bit more wiggle room to kind of thread it through and then once you lock everything in place it's good to go all right we'll step into this question again uh maybe not a short one we'll see how much you want to talk steve it's about k3 versus k4 frame stiffness and feeling hey guys how's it going um this is peter i'm calling to ask about the stiffness of the the new k4 frame versus the k3 frame um i know just with uh some manufacturing experience i have getting you know, equal stiffnesses between titanium tubing and, and carbon fiber strap or, or whatever you're using can be, uh, you know, interesting. They handle vibrations differently and whatnot. So I'm just curious the general feel of the frame, if you're just to be, you know, handling it, how would you say it's stiffer, more flexible? And does it torque easier? Uh, if you could touch on that, that'd be great. Thank you. Probably the worst question to give you and expect the short answer, but where does that go? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, in general, the, the um, Pika frames were a little bit stiffer uh, and more. Uh, we'll talk about the plastic story on another podcast because it's a whole thing in itself. Um, that had more to do with like a stiffer plastic being used in the back behind the lumbar pad. And then I was able to find a way to design it to retain that lumbar pressure that I was after, uh, but bring introduce a little bit more flex back into the system. So it, it acts differently. The whole, because you don't have the titanium tube coming across at the top anymore, it's, it's moving. It moves with your body, I'd say the same, but in a different, the same amount, but in a different way. It's hard to describe. I would say the, of all the guys that ran prototypes, the, pretty unanimous consent that k4 feel like really just like latches onto the body and feels a lot stiffer is not the right word it's more secure mm-hmm. what would you say yeah like secure i've heard secure stable you know planted yeah, etc yeah 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 so you're absolutely get all the same kind of lateral twisting movement right like drawing a bow just crawling on your hands and knees going over logs. But then once you load it up heavy, uh, and this really all has to do with the lower design that yeah, it's just a little bit more stable to the body. So it's kind of like, certainly feel like I n- nailed it as far as getting the best of both worlds there. You, we didn't give up. And that was something that I was very like, after we ran the Pika prototypes, what my top first question to everybody was more or less stiff than than k3 right that was mm-hmm. like the, the, one of the things i was the most concerned about um and certainly work to fine-tune that and tweak that over time as far as going back to his question carbon versus titanium honestly there's no difference there the um you could the early prototypes i ran with the titanium tubing in there to the two vertical pieces they felt great the carbon felt great the aluminum felt great. Like if uh, some guy on rock slide asked a question about, can you, uh, you know, bend the stays to adjust your fit? And it's like, well, no, they're, you know, molded carbon fiber. Um, but you could go like some of the prototypes we ran, as we talked about in the other pro- the thing, I literally went to Home Depot, bought some um, five eighths wide by a quarter inch thick aluminum bars 
and you know cut them and bent them into shape and, and ran with those you just add i want to say there were 14 ounces and the the two set of stays is like carbon stays are six ounces 6.2 uh, mm-hmm. so there's definitely you're gonna you know, add some weight but if you really wanted to do your own custom frame you could you'd probably run into some squeaking issues you might want to paint that like a textured paint or something on the aluminum but um yeah so the the carbon was cool because i was able to i was able to introduce a little bit more flex into the system uh just like the you know the perfect amount where it's got some give or like really when you're like you know say you're gonna bend over and you know pick up your um you know bow or rifle off the ground or like, there's like going to be a little bit of forgiveness and kind of bend with your back as it curves but but not too much to where when you load it up heavy that the chain the frame is drastically changing shape that's the the worst case scenario that's one one thing i talk about with um like at the shows this comes out a lot it's like it's why an old external metal frame you know given assuming it has like a decent design hip belt and harness why they stay pretty comfortable underweight is they don't change shape at all and that's a, a problem that a lot of packs you know we're trying to build these internal frame packs and to get them to call weight comfortably one of the one of the keys there is that the, the suspension the hip belt and the harness aren't aren't getting distorted and changing shape and the this frame that was once designed to fit your back now all of a sudden's got a big bow in the middle of it um you know that's like it's the last, it's, you know, the most critical time for that frame to be holding its shape and performing is under heavy loads. And that's, that's the time that it's flexing and not working right for you. So there's a balance there of, you know, if I was just designing a pack for 30, 40 pound loads, I'd have a ton more flex in it. Cause why not? You know, it's just going to feel awesome with 30 pounds and, you know, running through the mountains, but obviously we're designing these packs to work from 10 pounds to, you know, like I say 150 pounds on the on the website um or on our, our marketing you put 150 plus pounds and um yeah obviously they want them to work well through that range and then some guys some guy on facebook is like why why are they only the 150 pound rating and it's like <laughs> it's like dude that's just a, an arbitrary number that we threw out there just to say look the pack is way more capable than than your body ever will be of hauling weight out of the mountains you know like you could throw 300 pounds on the frame nothing's gonna break or rip or tear it's just obviously you'd have to be uh you know hulk hogan or something crap like that to to haul more than 150 pounds out of the mountains for over a distance hulk hogan like 20 years ago right not currently yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) an nfl linebacker let's say that yeah yeah Yeah, there's uh i'm biting my tongue to not get into deeper topics for another day of things we can talk about as it relates to frame and feel and stiffness and harness and load lifters and all that stuff so um yeah much more to come um let's do this steve what does we've talked a little bit about obviously as we said we're going to portland Mm -hmm. um we're doing that this week we've talked about launching k4 on the website late march but i guess what i'm getting at is like between now and april 1st what should people expect um what's coming in terms of just logistics and that stuff yeah we'll probably go well we're just going to keep putting some content out there you know we, we actually got to be honest with everybody we got stuck in a weird like position we wanted to launch the packs we wanted to be shipping them right now and just basically going to go to the show 
tease them out there. And then about a month later, you know, early February, we'll start shipping. And then, you know, we ordered um, our zippers from YKK last June and they just now shipped. Uh, so we, they kind of pushed off everything to where since December we've been doing harnesses and hip belts and uh, Nalgene pouch, everything we could build that didn't have a zipper. And then now that the zippers are finally here, now we're fully cranking on producing these bags. So we kind of got stuck in this position where uh, we wanted to go to the shows with K4, but then we've got this little gap before we actually have completed packs to start shipping. And uh, so, yeah, over the next, what do we got? Six, seven weeks, mm-hmm. something like that. Um, we'll just, we're going to be at Portland. And then as soon as we get back, you, uh, you and me just have a lot of content to shoot, man. I, I'm going to try to do my best to, I'd imagine there's going to be 50 videos that we put up on K4. And that's one of the things I was, talking to guys at the hunt expo about of like okay i just spent 20 minutes walking through the pack here's the basic features as we release these videos and you've got the pack with you just watch them you know you're laying in bed can't fall asleep jump on youtube watch them sitting on the toilet watch them um because there's going to be just little tips and tricks in there that uh, you know i can't you can't condense all of that into 20 minutes right like there's going to be Maybe you won't use it, but there might be a little sentence in a video that you go, oh my gosh, I didn't know the pack could do that. So uh, my goal is to, you know, get all that messaging out through these YouTube videos and we'll start recording them here, you know, pretty much as soon as we get back from Portland. We got lots of photos to shoot for the website. Um, The next behind the scenes, things are going to be churning. That's for sure. We're going to be really, really busy the next six weeks, just getting everything ready. Yeah. I just envisioned like a, you know, this series of short one to three minute videos called toilet tips. <laughs> Since you said, on the toilet, <laughs> like, you know, what, what, what's the next thing I can learn about the K4 pack when I take my next dump? <laughs> might, might be onto something there. <laughs> Look for that to come, folks. Look for that to come. All right. Um, seriously, though, everything will always be updated, posted, updates, all that at exomountaingear.com com forward slash k4 um on there you can sign up to receive updates by email you can sign up to win one of five packs we're giving away when we launch we have q a's up there um things we haven't talked about in the podcast there's more photos there's specs dimensions weights capacities etc uh, so basically if you do have any questions one is feel free to shoot us a message or two go to exomountaingear.com forward slash k4 and that is again a dynamic page that will have more and more and more as we get all this content done. So thanks as always for tuning in. Again, if you're going to be up in the Pacific Northwest, come see us this week. Say, hey, that'd be good to see you. Otherwise, thanks for subscribing to the podcast and we'll talk to you soon.